Well, listen, we are in a series going through the book of Acts together. And uh, if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to, I'm not going to read through it because we're essentially going to go through the story today. And uh, so rather than reading through uh, all of those verses before we go through them, uh, we'll just kind of walk down through it together. Um, Acts chapter 10 is, is really important. Um, it is arguably the greatest turning point in the history of the church. And so just so you understand, as we pick up here in Acts 10, it has been um, almost 10 years since the day of Pentecost where the church was birthed. So we've, we, over the past 13 weeks, we've gone through 10 years of the early church. And what we're about to read today is the very first time that a Gentile, also known as a non-Jew, right, is welcomed into the church of Jesus Christ. Um, this is huge. And so Acts 10 begins with a story about a centurion soldier, and the guy's name is Cornelius. So um, if you're on Acts chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 2. It talks a little bit about this guy. It says, he and his family were devout, God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So Cornelius is a Gentile. He's, he's not Jewish. He's a centurion soldier, um, but he's good. He's a good guy, right? Like he's generous. It says that he prays, that he's kind of, like he's a God-fearing man. I mean, he tries to, to do right. And then in verse 3, it says, one day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, which is always good when God calls you by your name. You know he's talking to you and not the guy behind you. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, What is it, Lord? Now look what the angel says to him. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who's called Peter. And we'll see later on in Acts chapter 11, if you fast forwarded, um, verse 4, there's kind of this recounting of what happened here in Acts chapter 10. And it says this, the angel also added at the end of this, not just, hey, go send to Joppa for a man named Simon, also known as Peter. It says this, Acts 11, 4, he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So the angel essentially says, like, hey, Cornelius, we've been up here in heaven, and um, we've noticed your praying, you, we've noticed your goodness, but I want you to notice what the angel doesn't say. The angel does not say, and not only have we noticed your goodness, but your good works and the sincerity that you've done them in have served you well, and now you are saved. It's not what the angel says. Which, which flies in the face of our current culture, which, which, which tries to convince us that it is your goodness and it is your sincerity in whatever you choose to believe that gets you to heaven. If you're a good person, you try hard, and especially if you're better than the, the person next door to you, then, then that somehow earns you into God's good graces and you go to heaven. Um, that is not what the angel says to Cornelius, please do not miss what essentially the angel says is 
great job on being good. But you still need to hear the message of the gospel to be saved. And I know this, this, <laughs> I can feel it in the room. Like, in the face of our goodness, God's answer is always the gospel. And it grates against us, and I feel it even in the room right now, and I understand that, I understand that, but I'm just telling you. Um, Cornelius then receives the word of God and sends three of his men, uh, like his attendants and people, to go bring Peter back to him. Verse, Acts, Acts 10 verse 9 says this, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, the leader of the church, right, was up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners, and it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice tells him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And look at Peter's response. He says this in verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replies. Can we just talk about how, um, how funny this statement is? Because you don't say no and Lord in the same sentence, normally, right? Like, if somebody's your Lord or your master, then that means they're in charge. And if you say no, that means you're in charge. So essentially, you know, you know the angel speaks, God speaks in booming voice, you know, kill, get up, kill, and eat. And he's like, no, master. Right? That's, it's, the, it's the exact opposite. You know, Zach was just telling us, like, you know, when we say amen, it means, like, let it be so. And, and essentially... Peter's response is, not so, Lord, Master, no. And he seems to make a habit out of this. I mean, I don't know if you remember this, like Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is telling the disciples, he's like, hey guys, look, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, dead, I'm going to rise again from the grave. And Peter says to Jesus, never, Lord, no, Master, Right? He, he kind of does this on and off all throughout. He's kind of this foot-in-mouth disease. And Peter was always learning the hard way, much like you and I, that, that God's ways are always better than our desire. And, and even in our response of no, not, not so, Lord, God, God has different idea. And how often do we do this, right? We're like, Lord, I'm all yours. Whatever you want me to do, I am yours. Just tell me what to do. And God's like, I want you to do this. Surely not, Lord. Surely not. Surely you have something more for me or different for me than that which you've asked me to do. And he continues in verse 14. Peter, not, not, he doesn't just say never or, or not so, Lord. He says, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So God literally orchestrates two confirming visions. He prepares Cornelius to hear the, the message, and he prepares Peter to deliver and to bring the message. 
And for Peter, I want you to understand, it wasn't hard for Cornelius. Cornelius was like, wow, an angel just showed up. Okay, well, let's send for Peter, Joppa. He's got a message that's going to save my family. Sounds like a good deal to me. Go, sends people to do it. It's different for Peter. In fact, verse 16, you can see how, how, how hard it was for God. It actually says, this happened three times. So three times God had to show Peter the exact same vision. He falls into a trance, and it's almost like Peter rejects the vision, and God's like, roll it again, boys. <laughs> and he's like, surely not, Lord. It's like, I just, roll it again, boys. Like, have you ever been in the place where like, you're like, God, I just, I'm yours, and I, 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 I want to do anything that you want me to do, and then God gives you something, and you're like, surely not. And he's like, roll it again, boys. Roll it again, boys. Roll it again, boys. The, the reality is, is that God always makes a way where there seems to be no way. And this is no exception. This was a very difficult thing for Peter to grasp. Three times it took for God to just kind of get this obstinate guy to receive what it was that, that God had in store. And this isn't just a cool illustration. God wasn't just like, I'm going to make a sheet, put a bunch of birds and reptiles, and be like, go kill Eve, and you're going to get it. Like, it took him three times. Why? Because God was preparing Peter's heart, not just to welcome Gentiles into his home, not just to welcome Gentiles to come and eat with him. He was, he was calling Peter to welcome Gentiles into the church. Like the the club, people who don't deserve it. And up until then, strict Jews didn't associate with Gentiles. They wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't receive them into their homes. They wouldn't go and even go into a Gentile's home. Many Jews believed that God had no use for Gentiles. The Gentiles, you know, the, the Jews were God's chosen people, and then there were the others. It was Jews and Gentiles. There wasn't like, there was just two groups of people. There were those, they were God's chosen people, and then there were everybody else. And they were called Gentiles, non-Jews. And so this is, the, this is the thing, the shift. I want you to understand, like when, when, this is why it took three times of the same vision for Peter to grasp this, because this was a complete mind melt. This was a complete mind shift for Peter of everything that he had understood growing up. And what I find is even in my own life, is I grow in God, it isn't, I don't have so much of a problem. My greatest, my greatest um, problems aren't adding new knowledge. It's mostly unlearning old knowledge, isn't it? Like, I don't have a problem adding knowledge to my life and understanding to my life. The, the harder problem I have is, is unlearning the stuff that I've grown up with unlearning things that aren't necessarily the right thing. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there's, there's a way that appears right, but in the end, it leads to death. In other words, we become conformed to patterns and to habits and to ways of thinking and things that appear to be right. And so much of our growth in God is unlearning those things and allowing God to transform us by the renewing of his mind by renewing of our minds. Amen? So it continues in verse 19. He says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, I mean, he literally has three times over and over and over, and then he's still processing, like, what does this mean? The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. 
So Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him that you were to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Can I just remind you, Christian, you never know when sharing your faith story is exactly what someone has been waiting for and praying for. I think in a day and age where it's like, well, I just don't want to share or push anything on anybody, so I'm just going to stay silent about my relationship with God. I'm going to stay silent about what God is doing and has done in my life. You, know, you don't know where somebody is at. You, you never really know what it is that God is doing in their life. And sometimes it is our judgment that, oh, man, they are so far away that it actually can stand in the way of God moving. Sometimes... Our role is to simply tell our story. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit and leading them and all of that kind of stuff actually is the Spirit's job to convict people. Sometimes our job is just to share our story. And this is essentially what Peter's, Peter's job is. He's just submit, go with these Gentiles, these unclean non-Jews, and share your story. In verse 23, it says, Then Peter invited the men into the, ho- into the house to be his guests. I want you to understand, like, God is always calling us to do things that we would never do on our own, and this is one of them. He would never allow or invite Gentiles to just come in, yes, come in, be a part um, of this household, spend the night. And not only does he invite Gentiles to stay with him the night, the next day he travels with them to enter Cornelius' home too. And, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that got Jesus in trouble. This is the kind of stuff that they're like, do you know that, that, that Jesus that you're following is friends of sinners, that he eats with sinners and tax collectors? Like, this, this is the type of, of guy. This is what got Jesus in trouble. And you can see that, like, Peter is even, like, feeling that too. Like, he's begrudging almost of going with these guys. He's, he's not a fan of this. Like, it took three times in a vision, and he's still wondering about it. God literally has to tell him, three guys are coming. Don't, you better go with them. Do not hesitate. And he's like, fine. You ever been there? You ever been there where God's like, I want you to do this and do that? And you're like, fine. I'm not a fan of this. Is this thing on? Yeah. It's probably going to mess up and it's probably not going to work, but fine, I'll do this anyway. You, you see this in verse 28. He literally says this. This is the first thing he says as he walks into Cornelius' home. This is his good morning to them. He says in verse 28, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. In other words, good morning. You know I shouldn't even be here right now. That's his, that's his greeting. To, to Cornelius and his family that he's gathered there to hear what it is that Peter has to share with them. And then he says this, but God, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. It did take him three times to do it. But he, he did tell me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I want you to understand this is an awkward situation. This is a divine setup. God is poking every religious nerve in Peter. 
And what we find is that the gospel isn't a call to religion. It's actually a challenge to it. I love when I, when I as a pastor, it's, it's, it's always awkward when you tell people what you do for a living. So like, I'll meet people and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And usually people will say things like, oh, I, I knew a rabbi once. <laughs> oh, cool. Or they'll say things like, oh, I'm not really religious. And this is what always gets them off when I say this. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> and they're like, but I thought you kind of like, isn't that what you do for, like, you get paid to do that, right? You're like religious. And I'm like, oh, no, I, don't, I got no time for religion. I'm like, uh, okay. And either it's a turnoff and they're like, this is a weirdo. Or, or they start asking some questions and we get into a uh, discussion. But, but the reality is, and this is so important for us as Christians, is that like the gospel is not a call to religion. It's actually a challenge to it. What do I mean by that? I mean that religion is very, very sneaky. It's very sneaky. Because it's, it's not, religion is not the quintessential uh, religious, churchy, judgy people that we think about when we think of religion. Oh, yeah, yeah, I had an aunt who was religious, you know. She judged me all the time, told me everything I was doing wrong, you know. No, 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 no. Religion isn't just judgy and churchy and all of these things. Essentially, religion is just man's attempt to make a measuring stick to rank where we stand. It's like, okay, I'm going to come up with this kind of like, um, this, this scale of like, okay, this is what I should do, this is what I shouldn't do, and it really answers this question, am I good? Am I good enough? Am I bad? Am I, am, I, am I too bad? Like, am I better than him? Am I worse than her? Like, where do I stand here? And we see this, this, this idea of religion and this measuring stick, even with the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, you probably heard, you know, the younger son, he, he tells his dad, look, dad, I want, I'm going to take all my inheritance and I'm out of here and I'm going to go spend it. I'm going to go live and do what I want. I'm going to do me, right? That's, that's it. And he goes and he, and he breaks all the laws and he leaves home out of rebellion. But then we find that the older son follows all the rules and he stays home out of religion. And, and this reality that we find, even within that story, is that both brothers made very different choices, yet they struggled with the same condition. They were both lost. Why? Because they were both separated from the relationship with the father. The younger son was out of rebellion, and the older son was out of religion. And at the end, the father was like, just come and be in relationship with me. And what that means is, when we talk about religion, it means that, the, that, that people who break all the moral rules out of rebellion and the people who keep all of the moral rules out of religion are both lost because they're thinking that on the same line continuum is going to somehow save us. And, and it flies in the face of our current culture that good people go to heaven. And this is kind of how you do it. You just got to be good. And if you're good enough, then you'll one day earn your way into heaven. And God says that it isn't your goodness that qualifies you and it isn't your badness that disqualifies you. You only get to heaven through Jesus. And this, this, is, this, this is this thing and it flies and it even grates on us. Because see, religion will cause you to see life kind of 
on this line of like zero to 100. And on zero, you've got like a serial murderer, right? You can all kind of agree on that. We're like, yeah, that's a pretty bad person. They're on purpose bad. And then you've got like Mother Teresa, selfless and giving and all of those things. Maybe she's like a 98, I don't know, like wherever you want to put her. And we kind of look at ourselves like where do I fall in here? And so we, we, we live our lives looking like, okay, you've got the clean and the unclean. You've got the, the holy and you've got the, the sinner. And you've got um, Mother Teresa and you've got the, the, the serial murderer. You, you've got, and then, and, then, and then we start to get into other things that are more kind of up to our own ideas. You've got rich and poor. You've got black and white. You've got Republican and Democrat. And, and when, depending on where we align on this continuum, we place people in comparison to each other. And one thing happens. Well, two things happen. Either um, religion leads to defeat, where you're just like, I'm too far gone. There's, I, I can't do enough good things to get there. I can't make up for it. I quit. This isn't worth it. I'm not even going to try to do this whole religion thing. I'm done with church. Why? Because it's not working. There's nothing I can do. And it doesn't matter because people are always going to see me this way. And no matter what I try to do, I'm always going to just keep pushed back down. I quit. All religion, on the other end of things, leads to pride. Well, I do this and I, and I, and I give this. And, and I didn't do this and other people did. And they shouldn't have, but I didn't. And so therefore, it earns me into the good graces of God and somehow earns me a place. And the hard part is I think that the, the people that are in the most precarious situation are the people in the middle, which would be like you and me. Because none of us are like, well, I'm not a serial murderer and I'm, I'm certainly not Mother Teresa, but I'm, I'm probably somewhere in here. And maybe you consider yourself down here. Maybe you consider yourself up here but somewhere in the middle. And it's in the middle where we think that there's a cutoff point. This is kind of how I grew up. There's a cutoff point. Like at some point, there's the goats, and then there's the sheep. And we, in one, hopefully, at the end of my days, I make the cutoff point. The insidious part of religion is that it, it breeds comparison and less grace for other people. Why? Because the people that are on this side of me I don't want to pull them up out of where they're at. Why? Because they're my safety net. Because at the end of days, when, when Jesus comes, and he's like, I'm going to take the goats, and they're going, and the sheep are going to come with me, and you're like, ah, ah, and you're just kicking, kicking the goats further down. Why? Because the closer they get to you, man, the, 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 the worse it looks for you. You've got you to make that cutoff point. And the people that are above me, I want to tear down. I want to dig up some dirt on them. Why? Because if I can pull them down, they're just in the way of me getting to the front of the line. Religion. Religion, that's kind of what, 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 what many people live under. And then we were confronted with these words in John chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In the face of the gospel... Here's the gospel in a nutshell. As we're looking at religion, Jesus says, you can't get there from here. In Maine, we say, you can't get there from here. You, you know what I'm talking about. 
Yeah, of course, if you've been around men, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't get that from here, right? As we look at religion, it's this reality that we are trying to attain something that cannot be achieved through religion. And you think that, like, the road to heaven is trying to make the cutoff point so you can do enough good things to get past the other people that when the end of days come, you make the cutoff. But Jesus is like, you can't get there from here. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit and the life change of God that saves you. It is only through Jesus. And that is exactly what Peter communicates to Cornelius. He walks in, he's like, look, you know I'm not supposed to be here. Because he's still struggling in the midst of it. And what does he preach? He doesn't preach moralism. He doesn't preach, well, you've got to start doing this, and you should do this, and you should probably get circumcised first and get baptized and get all these things in a row, and then you should probably... Listen, he just preaches Jesus. He, he, he preaches Jesus' life. He preaches Jesus' death. He preaches Jesus' resurrection. He preaches how he ate with Jesus. He preaches how he drank with Jesus after Jesus ascended from heaven. It begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. Let me just tell you, it's all about Jesus. And he looks in the eyes of these good people, God-fearing, praying people, and he's like, the only thing I got for you is Jesus. Church, we do not come here to sing songs and to hear an inspirational TED talk about life. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And this is all Peter has. And he, I think he's even doubting it as he's saying it. He's just like, this is the gospel. And it's all about Jesus. And he continues in verse 42. He preaches. He says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And he says, and all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of Peter's sermon, the Holy Spirit fills the room. Verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, what words? The truth that, that anyone, anyone, anyone who has faith in Jesus can repent and receive forgiveness of sins through the, the name of Jesus. And I think it was this realization of these non-Jew, unclean, Gentile people, of this realization of we can't get there from here, but Jesus can, that changed everything. Church, either the gospel is true or it's worthless. And if it's not true, then this is a wonderful waste of time. But, but if it is true, then, then, the whole, then the Holy Spirit has the power to change you from the inside out. If it, if it is true, then God can save anyone. Anyone. Verse 44, it says, 
While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. It was as if these undeserving Gentiles simply attached their faith to the Word of God and said, if this is really true, then I want it. And at that moment, God descended on them. And I love how God just interrupts Peter's sermon. I mean, he's just getting going. We've seen. Peter preaches for much longer than this, right? And other, to other, other times, like, he's just starting. Do you realize that the Spirit doesn't have to wait for an altar call? Do you realize that the Holy Spirit doesn't have to wait for a holy moment or for the band to start playing in the background? Like, the Holy Spirit can just move in the middle. And I just believe even right now that the Holy Spirit is moving. Right now. Verse 45 says, The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. In other words, they're like, Wait, what happened to us can happen to them? They don't get like Holy Spirit Junior or Gentile Holy Spirit. Like they get what we got. Like how in the world is this even possible? They're stunned that the Holy Spirit is poured out even on these Gentiles. Can I just remind you that the conversion of other people always changes us. That's why I love doing baptisms up here because it reminds us (laughs) of when God saved you and that God is continually saving people like you and people not like you. Because when the Holy Spirit shows up, he always seems to ruin our religion, doesn't he? He moves our cheese. He does things the the way that I wouldn't want them to be done. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, he ruins our religion. And I want you to just see this. In the very beginning of Acts, as we started this whole thing out, the, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Jews, the 120 that are gathered in the upper room. And then later on, we see the Holy Spirit is even poured out on Samaritans. What? And then the Holy Spirit is even poured out on Gentiles. And then the Holy Spirit is even poured out on you. That's astonishing. Because most of us know you. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out on people who aren't like you, and people who don't act like you, and people who don't look like you, and people who don't vote like you. And the Holy Spirit is literally continually poured out on people who don't deserve it. Can we just be honest? Some of the people that I'm seeing get saved. The Holy Spirit's poured out on it. It's like, really, they don't deserve this. They haven't put in the time, the effort, or anything. They, this, they're like right here. And they just, whoop, they just jumped, the, they just jumped it, right? That's not fair. And God's like, let me remind you, you can't get there from here. You can't get there from here. And God just continually pours out his spirit. Church, it's, it's, it's as if the gospel changes everything. One of my greatest fears <laughs> as a pastor, and even as, as we lead our kids in our kids' ministry or even as parents, is that we would teach our kids how to live moral lives and not introduce them to the living Christ. 
that we would teach them things, oh, well, Jesus doesn't like when you do this, and Jesus loves it when you share, and Jesus doesn't like when you steal, and Jesus doesn't like when you do this, and Jesus loves it when you help old people cross the road, and Jesus doesn't like it when you trip people. And Je- so do this because Jesus likes this and Jesus doesn't like that. And we teach people a moral deism, and we fail to teach them that the only way you get saved is through the encountering Jesus. And the gospel just levels the playing field and reminds every single one of us, you can't get there from here. You aren't good enough. I feel like I'm not good enough. You're right. You won't be. But I've been trying really hard. It's really about showing. (laughs) I feel defeated. I don't feel like I'll ever make up for it. Because you can't. It's only Jesus. You, you need Jesus. And, and that isn't just good news for the unsaved, unrepentant Gentile sinners. That's good news for you and every single one of you, even those dead in our religion. You can't get there from here. Why don't you stand with me? It ends with this, uh, verse 47. Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. Here's the funny thing that I've noticed as I read through this. Acts chapter 10. Not only did the Gentiles seem to hijack the Holy Spirit but they completely messed up the recipe of how to receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you noticed this, but they went completely off the grid. These uncircumcised, unbaptized, unclean, non-Jews who interrupt sermons didn't even name their sins and repent for them that we can see right here, start receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and praising God, and nobody even laid hands on them. I mean, it's completely upside down of how we like to prescribe things. And the last point is this, that God will often do things out of the order that we like to prescribe them in. He's always messing me up. He's always messing up my religion. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, it's like, well, but you didn't, you needed to do, but you, but, and God's like, but what? But what? But what? Yeah, but, but, but you can't get there from here. Did did you forget? (laughs) Please, you know that you came in through the kingdom because you didn't deserve it and it was because of full grace of God. Please don't start trying to live as though you can earn it. You, You can't get there from here. And so these, these people, come in and and receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit pours out on them and and they break all the rules that that we like to place and surprises everyone in the room, probably including them. John 3.8 says, "The, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God moves on the hearts of people, He does 
as he wills. Amen? I think of when I came to Christ. Eighth grade, Catholic kid, grew up at the Catholic school, altar boy, trained altar boys. It was a pretty big deal. Um, and uh, all of a sudden we get this, this new youth leader and, named Marianne and she's all about Jesus. Won't shut up about him. She's been healed of cancer three times, all these different things. And I finally come to the place. I'm like, if this is really true, if I really can't get there from here and I can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, then I want it. And I realized in the moment like that all of my trying to be good, I believed in God, but I was really just scared of him. I didn't want to go to hell. And so it was futile. I just said, if this is real, then, then I want it. And she prayed for me. I don't even know where I was in my faith. I had not been baptized. I hadn't done all these things. And I just, the Holy Spirit just descended on me. And I, uh, I've, I've never been the same. Yeah, but you didn't do, but what? Yeah, but I, I don't have all my junk together yet. Like, I, I, I just showed up. This is my first Sunday. Like, I... I, you don't know what I even did last night. Like, but what? <laughs> like either the gospel's true or it's not. Either God can change someone and, and fill them and change them from the inside out or he can't. So I want to pray with you as we, as we enter into this last song of worship. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you came in, you're just like, you know what, this is just the beginning of my journey. I'm checking this whole thing out. I don't really know about this whole Jesus thing. And I've heard a lot about it. And I'm not really religious. And, but there's something rising up in me. And the Holy Spirit is doing something on the inside of me. And I want to respond to that. Why don't you just bow your heads with me and just, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fall on those who are receiving his word today. And those of you in here right now, maybe you're kind of in that place. You're like, I don't know what to do. I just feel like I need to respond to this and I don't know how or what. Why don't you just look, just make eye contact with me. Just say, God, this, I, I, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you right now. I don't necessarily know what this means, but, but I'm hearing you. Okay. Let me just pray with you. Those of you in here, they're just like saying, yeah, I want this if this is real. I've been trying to, to, to do this thing and it's futile and oh, I need Jesus. Maybe you just make this your own prayer. It's kind of what I did in eighth grade. I just combined my faith to the word of God. So maybe you pray with me, Father God, I realize that I can't get there from here. And I know that you are the way. I realize that I've sinned and that I fall short of so many things. And I repent right now and I ask for your forgiveness of my sins. And so right at this moment, I receive you into my life as Lord. I give over my rights to call the shots and I ask that you would lead me and guide me from now on. And I, I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit right now so that I can truly live the way you created me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lord Jesus, I pray for each and every single person that prayed that prayer. I pray that your spirit would fall on them right now fresh. And the same thing that you've done in so many of our lives and throughout a couple thousand years, as you've passed from person to person to person, people who don't deserve it, your Holy Spirit, I pray it would fall fresh on, on those right here. And I pray that as we sing, I pray that it would be a case of I can't help myself, just like these people that say they were, they were speaking in tongues and praising God. Lord, I pray that, that it would just come out of our mouths, your praise, because you're worth all of it. Lord, we thank you that you are more than enough, and we worship you. We choose to worship you in Jesus' name. Let's worship him, church.